Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Welcome back to Quran 30 for 30. Alhamdulillah rabbil ameen. We're now in Juz 17 and uh, we have too much barakah in the room, mashallah. Sheikh Joe Bradford, Sheikh Yusuf Wahab and Sheikh Abdullah Adur. This is like a, a dream session of Quran 30 for 30, alhamdulillah. So we're, we're blessed to have uh, uh, two uh, beloved brothers and, and scholars, alhamdulillah, joining us today. I feel like it should become a zakah Q&A, like a, something, because <laughs> I think both of you, mashallah, are experts in, in zakah. And, uh, Sheikh Joe, I actually, subhanAllah, I have your book on my desk in the office at Yaqeen. I plugged it in, in my uh, uh, double take episode, but I was hoping to plug it today. But forgive me, what, what's the name of the book again? It's a 40 on 40 uh, hadith. On, uh, 40 hadith on wealth and earning. 40 hadith on wealth and earning. An amazing book, mashallah. And where can they find it, Sheikh? Uh, it's available on Amazon.com and uh, links on my website as well. Nice, nice, mashallah. So Sheikh Joe is like the uh, uh, zakah inheritance, anything to do with 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 money, mashallah. Um, you know, I, I he he does a, just a phenomenal job, and of course, more than that, alhamdulillah, just uh, someone we always benefit from in terms of insights. And exactly. we're really looking forward to having you uh, with the Sheikh Joe. <clears throat> Sheikh Yusuf is our director of Quranic studies at Yaqeen, alhamdulillah. And Sheikh Yusuf is uh, a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sheikh Yusuf, before you, I'm going to actually introduce you with this tweet. I want to put something on, on screen. Uh, put it up. There it is. All right. <laughs> so. This is like the greatest compliment. Like I saw this, I was like, man, mashallah, that's that's uh, love for the sake of Allah. So Sheikh Joe tweeted, I want to be Yusuf Wahab when I grow up. Uh, so I think that's that's how uh, that's how we know, alhamdulillah. You're, you're, Allah. You're, you're not, I was actually going to ask you to introduce me as the person who wants to be Yusuf And then it turned out you all were on the same episode, alhamdulillah. Yes, yeah, so, alhamdulillah. Uh, that was, uh, you know, too much nur in the room right now. So... Uh. <laughs> So, Sheikh Yusuf, as our director of Quranic studies, alhamdulillah, all of the incredible work, especially, honestly, groundbreaking work on qira'at, um, uh, like on understanding the recitations and the depth of the Quran, uh, Sheikh Yusuf sees that through an amazing article that just got published as well on how the Quran engages Jewish and Christian literature. Uh, click that tab on the website. Sheikh Yusuf, what's coming up with Quranic studies as well? Barakallah uh, So the um, actually in a few days, inshallah, we're having a piece on uh, Laylatul Qadr. Uh, it's a mix between tafsir and also some hadith about Laylatul Qadr. When Laylatul Qadr is, it's a translation of a work by Al Hafiz Waliyuddin Al Iraqi, one of the great scholars of hadith, uh, with a little bit of commentary. So inshallah, it should be released in a few days. Uh, it's a timely uh, piece, and Laylatul Qadr. Everybody now is uh, getting ready for Laylatul Qadr. Uh, the book actually opens the horizons for. Uh, our perception of Laylatul Qadr, starting from the opinions that Laylatul Qadr can be any night of the entire year, as, as it's a common opinion attributed to Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, to the people who made it limited to the last 10 days or the odd nights, uh, or particular nights, actually, in the last 10 nights. So, inshallah, hopefully, that would give us a boost of energy to uh, exert more effort in Ramadan, inshallah. Uh, we have another article that should be published soon, inshallah, on the universality of the message of the Quran. Um, how the Quran, including the verses that are addressing particular individuals or people, or even the ayat that are talking about ancient peoples or the stories from the past, they are still relevant to us today. Um, there's also a paper that has some reflections on uh, racial conflicts from Surah Al-Hujurat, drawing from tafsir from uh, uh, a North African Muslim scholars of tafsir who dealt with the idea of racism uh, in their uh, tribal context and how they associated that in their tafsir of the Quran. 
uh, of Surah Al-Hujarat in particular, the surah that we know that talks about the, the manners of ikhtilaf and conflicts between Muslims. So inshallah, these uh, two pieces should be uh, released soon. We have another piece on um, uh, approaching the Quran from the lens of Asma'ullah al-Husna, from the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This one should be also released soon, uh, There are more, inshallah, to come, uh, but those are the ones that are pretty ready, inshallah ta'ala, to be released soon. Alhamdulillah, mashallah. Zakallah khair, Shaykh. May Allah bless you and all the brothers and sisters that are working in that department in particular. And this will be a good plug for everyone to please donate to Yaqeen, inshallah. We're getting into that part of Ramadan, inshallah, especially as we get into the last 10 nights. Join us for the webathon on Tuesday, inshallah. And please do, inshallah, I continue to contribute to the work. And I want to be Sheikh Abdullah Duro when I grow up. So we got Sheikh Duro uh, that wants to be Sheikh Yusuf. I want to be Sheikh Abdullah, you know, inshallah. Um, but before we start, just uh, Sheikh Joe, I got a riddle for you. And Sheikh Yusuf, you're, you're welcome to, 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 to chime in, all right? Uh, it's, a, it's a tax question that's been Islamified, all right? So um, what do you call or, or why why does a skunk not pay zakah? Why does a skunk not pay zakah? Oh, man. Why does a skunk not pay zakah? Can't Google it, Chef. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you, you <laughs> type um, why does a skunk pay Zika? Why Chef, does he pay Zika? Why doesn't he pay Zika? Why doesn't he pay Zika? So negation. Why doesn't he pay Zika? Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm stumped. I want to say I want to say something about Nisab, but how's no. that gonna, that's not going to work. Uh, you you got me. All right, because he only has one cent. <laughs> oh, that was good. You got to give that. Mashallah. That's a good that one. Good. You're getting closer to being like me. Closer. <laughs> one day. One day. One day I'll be like you. One day. One day. One day. Inshallah, Mashaykh. Let's go ahead and get started. Bismillah. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salam. Wa rasulillah. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Truly, subhanAllah, I want to keep things very short on my end because I know we're going to have a lot of rich reflections. But as we get into Al-Anbiya and Al-Hajj um, and the different things that come into play here, the lives of the prophets and their, their struggles and the way that they came close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through everything, they were the greatest example of people that understood their purpose in life because their purpose was divinely revealed and their mission is divinely supported. SubhanAllah, I was looking at just these few verses in Surah Al-Hajj uh, where Allah Azza wa says in verse uh, 31, and I've spoken about this before, the imagery of this verse, لِلَّهِ That they are exclusively devoted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, never attributing a partner to him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the one who attributes the partner to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like someone who falls from the sky and then is snatched away by a bird or the wind blows him away into a distant, unrecognizable place. And subhanAllah, the imagery of that person that doesn't have tawheed, that doesn't have true religion to ground themselves in is like a person that is falling from the sky and getting picked up from bird to bird to bird to bird. And many of the ulama speak about this in, in multiple ways. The false idols, some of them talk about the different shahawat, the different desires that capture them at different points of their lives. 
these different addictions that take them from place to place to place to place, these different philosophies that are incoherent and unsatisfying. And think about this person compared to a person who's holding on to an urwat al-wuthqa, the trustworthy handhold, right? You have something so stable in tawheed and you're grabbing on to that trustworthy handhold and you're grounded in this profound, perfect religion where you have clarity and you know exactly why you're here and why you are supposed to be doing what you are doing versus someone who doesn't have those things. And you know, oftentimes you'll find that the people that uh, do not follow Islam or do not follow you know, uh, organized religion and mock this concept of organized religion, of course, as we're moving into the era of spiritual, not religious, and people making and fashioning their gods and their religions in their desires, is that they mock the ideas of symbols, they mock the idea of prohibition, and what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say also in the surah right afterwards? That such is the fact that whoever venerates, whoever honors the sanctity of those symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that that is a sign of the piety of the heart. And so you see someone that doesn't believe in this and looks at hajj and mocks it, right? Mocks people in salah, mocks the fasting of the believers, mocks the way that we honor those symbols of Allah. And by the way, some Muslims even may fall victim to this idea of mocking ritual and mocking symbol and saying it's about the spirit, it's about the character. Yes, it's about the spirit, it's about the character, but that's manifested as well in the ritual and in the practice. And there is a healthy marriage between those two things in Islam. And that is taqwa in the heart as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that's also part of piety in the heart. But then after Allah says that they are people who do ta'aleem, who honor the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah says a few verses later, that it's not the flesh of the sacrifice or the blood of the sacrifice that reaches Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it is your taqwa that reaches him. SubhanAllah. So you see that perfect, once again, coherence of those two things. And as this plays out later on, even in the surah, this idea that those who embark on this effort to honor what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has honored, that they are rewarded no matter what happens along the way. So in verse 58, Allah says, That those who migrate in the way of Allah, whether they were slain or they died, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them their promised risk, their promised sustenance, and their promised reward, and He is the best of those who provide. So you really start to see the way that the surah is shaping up, and this juz speaks to as a whole, in fact, this idea that religion is coherent, that tawheed is clarifying and grounding, that the symbols matter and the symbols testify to the spirit in the heart and what you are exerting yourself towards. And that is what actually reaches Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is the effort at the end of the day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala demands of you and that Allah azawajal uh, will hold you accountable too. And so it's one of those things where you read this juz and you say, Alhamdulillah, ala ni'matil Islam. Honestly, that was the key reflection I had when I read this juz. Alhamdulillah, for the blessing of Islam. And you'll see that whether it's in the story of Ayyub Islam or Ibrahim Islam, that we have something that is so legitimate, so clarifying, so grounding, so true. Alhamdulillah. 
And so with that, inshallah ta'ala, as I said, I don't want to take too much time today because I really want to hear the rich reflections from, uh, of course, Sheikh Abdullah is always, but Sheikh Joe and Sheikh Yusuf. So I'll pass it on uh, quickly, in fact, to Sheikh Abdullah, inshallah. Tell the Sheikh Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'ina ma ba'du. SubhanAllah, we've already reached the middle of Ramadan. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, we ask ourselves, what are we rushing for? You know, sometimes we see the Eid come and we wish that Ramadan would have stayed. But then at the beginning of Ramadan, we, you know, are waiting for the end of it sometimes as human beings. And that's what I want to touch on today because, you know, SubhanAllah, we, our theme is a Quranic worldview and the view of ourselves as human beings. What's so beautiful about Islam, what's so beautiful about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Tawheed particularly, the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Rububiyyah, His Lordship, is that He knows us because He created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Therefore, within the Quran and within the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that has been given message by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, therefore being the messenger, He tells us about ourselves and the reality of ourselves. But He doesn't leave us hamalan. He doesn't leave us out of, you know, by ourselves with our own agency. Rather, he gives us a methodology, he gives us a practice, he gives us a framework, and that is the sharia. Within this within this uh, knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's one thing I want to share with all of you in the chapter of the chapter of Al-Anbiya, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the human being. And it's it's very interesting because we, we, we may know this, but subhanAllah, he gives us the formula as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, after a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim, in the context, uh, as some scholars call it, al-jumla i'tiradiyya, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, 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 is mentioning a thought which within a framework of another mentioning. He's talking about the mushrikun, uh, he's, he's talk, not i'tiradiyya, he's, he's inserting uh, a thought here when he's talking about uh, the reality of the human beings. Before that, he was talking about how the mushrikun would make istihza of the prophets, particularly the prophet And due to their istihza and making fun of the prophets, they made the statement, Is this the one that uh, mentions your gods? And they disbelieved in the Rahman, the Rahman of the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they had another understanding of what a Rahman would be. So here when they mention that, they make istiza the Prophet sallallahu wasallam. Is this the one that you are talking about? Making istiza and belittling him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes after that and he says, He says that mankind was created from haste. Mankind was created from haste. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says after that, I will show them verily my signs, so do not be impatient. So one may ask, how is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates us from being as being human beings that are impatient, but then after that tells us not to be impatient? This is important because understanding the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he creates us with certain osaf, with certain, with certain characteristics that is ingrained and there, if you will, if you will, they are features of our fitrah, of our carnal self, of our, of our natural self, our natural inclination, that from that we may be impatient and we want things now. Even the mushrikun of their time, particularly in this context, they wanted to see the signs of Allah jahratan. They wanted to see them in, in front of them. Yes, it's from, their, from their, their, their characteristic of being impatient, but also of making fun of the messengers, alayhi wasalam. But we, as human beings, may be impatient with the du'as that we make. We may be impatient when our du'as are not answered. When someone, we have an expectation from them and they don't reach that expectation. And from the lack of them reaching our expectations, 
we may be impatient with them or impatient with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why it's important for us as human beings to realize Allah gives us the raw material and characteristics, but he also gives us the framework to work with. That is why after that, he says, I will verily show you, certainly show you my signs. Do not be hasty. Although this was particularly for the mushrikun that made fun of the messenger of Allah, messengers of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, alayhi wa sallam, the generality still stands, being that we as human beings have the characteristic of being impatient at times. And that's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said in a beautiful hadith, that's mutafaqun alayhi, that he was distributing his wealth in, in, in sadaqah to, to a certain group of people. And then he said, Wallahi, what I have, I will give you. And then he says after that, وَمَنْ يَسْتَعْفِفْ يُعِفُهُ اللَّهِ وَمَنْ يَسْتَغْنِي يُغْنِهِ اللَّهِ وَمَنْ يَتَصَبَّرْ يُصَبِّرُهُ اللَّهِ The Prophet ﷺ, he said, whoever seeks chastity and modesty, Allah SWT will make them that. And whoever seeks self-sufficiency, Allah SWT will make themselves sufficient from others. يعني. And then Allah, and then he says after that, and whoever seeks to be patient, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make them patient. And then he concludes by saying, there is nothing better that a slave has been given than patience, which is the wisdom that Allah creates us from our characteristics is that we may be impatient, but then he says, do not be impatient. Don't rush towards things. Don't be hasty. That's why he prescribes us to be patient as well. And this sharia, what he gives us in Islam, he gives us the formula through different practices that we may do, that we may, you know, as, as human beings, within practicing the sunnah of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for something to strive for, to be of those that have the jihad, the nafs, striving against ourselves, which may call us to do things that are hasty and not being patient with the predestination of Allah or being patient with the way Allah predestines throughout his creation with other individuals. As, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also said, concluding here with us as human beings in our communities, he says, and I have made you, and I've made one of you to each other a fitna. Will you not be patient? So remembering that we in this month of Ramadan, hoping for the Laylatul Qadr, hoping for this night of power, that we are patient with what comes in front of us and we are not hasty in our dua, whether it is waiting for the answer or if the answer has not come to us, showing manners that are not befitting for us as Muslims. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those that are patient with whatever is predestined. And that is the key to guidance, inshallah. Barakallah fiqum. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There are two main points that I would love to um, reflect on, inshallah, from Surah Al-Anbiya. Uh, the first one, it's a continuation of a thought that Shaykh Abdullah just mentioned about the dua. Um, and in particular, in the story of Ayyub alayhi salam, um, in the verse, وَأَيُّوبَ إِذْ نَادَ رَبَّهُ أَنِّي مَسَّنِيَ الضُّرُّ وَأَنْتَ أَرْحَمُ الرَّاحِمِينَ When Ayyub alayhi salam, may Allah send his blessings and greetings upon him, calls upon his Lord and says, رَبِّ إِنِّي مَسَّنِيَ الضُّرُّ My Lord, suffering has afflicted me. وَأَنْتَ أَرْحَمُ الرَّاحِمِينَ And you are the most uh, uh, merciful. When we think of uh, the story of Ayyub alayhi salam, who is known to be... Um, like the, the, the best embodiment of patience that we ever knew in our history. Sayyiduna Ayyub salam was a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just to begin with. He was a chosen as a prophet that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him the blessing and the gift of prophecy. Um, it is said that he was very rich. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him a large family. But all of a sudden Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took all of this away from him. 
He lost almost all of his property and wealth. He lost seven sons and three daughters on the same day. He lost 10 of his children on the same day. And not just that, all these different kinds of illness started attacking his body. And all these quruh, all these sores started to be all over his body. And the only thing he exemplified was just like patience and forbearance. And it's subhanAllah, it's something that is actually denoted in the name that he's given, Ayyub. The word Ayyub is actually derived from the, um, the Arabic verb Aba, Ayraja'a, which means to return back. And it's an emphatic form. It's a sigha to mubalagha that means or that denotes that somebody is repeatedly returning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was always returning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this situation for a number of years, actually, has been suffering from this. And now he wants to raise his dua, to, to raise his hands and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for something. He wants to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to alleviate his pain or to grant him healing or recovery. And the only thing he could express about this was this statement, Inni masani al-dur. Suffering has afflicted me. If we want to uh, rhetorically analyze the sentence, it is not actually a request because dua is a type of request. And from a grammatical point of view, you're actually requesting th- something. When we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we say, oh Allah, give us something, uh, prevent us from uh, doing something. Oh Allah, grant us something. So there is this imperative amr in the context of dua that is known to be a talab, to be a request. When we examine the sentence of Ayyub alayhi salam, it is actually a jumla khabariya. It's a declarative sentence. It is, doesn't even qualify in a literal sense to be a request because he wanted to exemplify and embody this concept of adab, of being polite upon asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for something, even though he's in this very bad situation. And it is very legitimate and valid for him to just say, oh Allah, grant me healing or Allah, grant me a speedy recovery or something that is more direct than just telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, it's not just a declarative because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that suffering has afflicted him. But that was the only thing that came out of his mouth. Suffering has afflicted me. And then he's just telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he's the most merciful. He didn't want to add something to this. This reflects a prophetic adab um, when it comes to communing or talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you can actually find this consistent throughout the entire Quran. And one of the beautiful topics that I would encourage everybody to pursue upon doing tadabbur of the Quran is to examine the way the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are talking to Allah. Or if you want to be more specific, to examine the ways in which the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are asking Allah for things or they're making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. From Adam alayhi salam until Isa and Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Every single request or dua, every prophet is making in the Quran reflects one aspect of this adab. From the day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked Adam alayhi salam and Sayyidah Hawa to leave Jannah, and the, and the way they responded back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they were shy, they were polite to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for things. They just said that, Qala rabbana anfusana. They just admitted saying that, our Lord, we have, we have wronged ourselves. وَإِن لَمْ تَغْفِرْ لَنَا وَتَرْحَمْنَا لَنَكُونَنَّ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ if you do not forgive us and show you mercy upon us, we will indeed be among the losers. So imagine again, the prophet, the first of the prophets is talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this language. Nuh alayhi salam, he spent almost a thousand years inviting his people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He suffered a lot from them, even from his own, some of his own family members. And then after the flood, and we all know the story, and his own son died in the flood after he tried to the last moment to just invite him to come aboard with us. And he refused and then he just wanted to 
tell Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show his mercy upon his son. He was not even able to say it literally. He just said, That Nuh alayhi salam called upon his Lord and he said, My son was one of my family. That was the only thing he was actually able to say. You promise is true. You are the most uh, just of all judges. That, that parallels that what Ayyub alayhi salam said. They are just praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, a declarative sentence. My son is one of my family. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows this and he is his son. But he couldn't directly ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to like just forgive my son or at least alleviate the punishment of my son. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, subhanahu wa ta'ala told him no, because it's the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will deal with everybody equally, he apologized to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the most humble manner ever. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, Inni a'idhuka. Do not ask me about things of which you have no knowledge. And then Nuh alayhi salam qala rabbi inni a'udhu bika an as'alaka ma laysa li bihi ilm. I seek refuge in you. I take refuge with you from asking for things I know nothing about. Wa illa taghfil li wa tarhamni. The same statement that Adam alayhi salam said. If you do not forgive me and have mercy upon me, I shall be among the losers as well. Uh, Sayyiduna Musa alayhi salam, after all that time he spent with all with, with, with Bani Israel, with the uh, uh, Bani Israel, the children of Israel, um, and then when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, will the punishment to happen to them? Sayyiduna Musa alayhi salam said, Oh my Lord, if, if you willed, you could have destroyed all of us, including myself. It is only your trial that you guide whoever you will and, and, and you misguide whoever you will. Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam, you can find all these examples throughout the Quran when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, Did you tell people to take me and my mother as deities or as gods alongside Allah? And he said, Subhanak, I would never say what I had no right to say. So try to detect this polite attitude or adab that the Prophet employed upon uh, uh, making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then let's reflect on the way we are making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, we're not comparing ourselves with the Prophets. Those are the best of mankind. But when we raise our, our hands to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet warned us against the concept of al-i'tida'u the concept of the transgression in dua, in, in dua to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for uh, to to ask too much in detail or to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for things that do not really concern you or to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a language that shows that you're not very certain or you don't have enough trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for example he says none of you should say oh Allah forgive me if you want we should be determined in the way we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are many etiquettes and adab of dua that the Prophet taught us. All these etiquettes, you can learn them as reflections of the adab that the Prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala embodied upon talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to teach us adab and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to fill our hearts with adab when we approach him and we ask him subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the light of knowledge and the wisdom. That's incredible parallel. May Allah bless you. Sheikh Joe. Bismillah, alhamdulillah. Salatu salamu ala rasulillah. What I'd like to reflect on today, and I think it's quite fitting that we've passed the halfway mark in Ramadan, and we are now passing the halfway mark in the Quran. 
And the 17th juz contains two surahs, Surah Al-Anbiya and Surah Al-Hajj. And I want to focus on the parallels that are in here as the story of the Ummah. Um, Sheikh Omar had mentioned earlier about how, uh, you know, the, 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 one of the messages that you walk away with is the greatness of Islam. Um, the, if you look at these two surahs, you'll find that Surah Al-Anbiya is a surah that mentions 16 of the different prophets and messengers along with Maryam alayhi salam. Uh, it was revealed before Surah Al-An'am, um, and it is about the 71st when it was revealed, meaning that it is sub- one of the last surahs to be revealed before the hijrah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this is, a, this is a surah that was given to the Prophet والسلام, at a very close time to a major event in Islamic history. Then we have Surah Al-Hajj. Surah Al-Hajj, some scholars have said that it was, it was revealed in Mecca, others said it was revealed in Medina, others said that it was between the two, meaning that it is, some use the word mukhtalata, that it's mixed, some verses from Mecca and Medina. And I, I, I like to think of it as a transitional surah, in that some scholars of Asbab and Nuzul had mentioned that it was revealed when the Prophet والسلام, had set out uh, to to Medina, or is set out when he was traveling, and therefore, um, it is somewhat of a transitional surah. It begins in the traditional manner of surahs in Mecca, Ya Ayuhan Nas. However, it contains almost a prologue to the types of rulings that the Muslims are going to be expecting when they uh, reach and Medina. So, what are some of the parallels that we find? In Surah Al-Anbiya and Surah Al-Hajj. Number one, in Surah Al-Anbiya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts the, the surah by saying, That the accountability of mankind has come near to them, but they are in heedless, heedlessness rejecting that. So there's this idea of hisab, this idea of the day of judgment, which is coming closer. In Surah Al-Hajj, we have the same thing. We have, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ اتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمْ إِنَّ زَلْزَلَةَ السَّاعَةِ شَيْءٌ عَظِيمٌ O mankind, be fearful of your Lord, be mindful of your Lord. Indeed, the quake of the hour is an immense thing. So these two parallels start off warning us of the Akhirah. And given that it is revealed in Mecca, then starts to tell the Prophet. There's almost a a dual purpose of who's being spoken to. One is the Prophet ﷺ is being given solace as to how he's being treated in Mecca. And the mushrikeen, the disbeliever, the polytheists of Mecca, are being warned that if you treat your Prophet this way, then the ways that the people of the previous Prophets were, were treated is going to happen to you as well. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clarifies in the, the first, say, first to one to thirty-five the message of all of the prophets and messengers. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنَا فَاعْبُدُونَ And we never sent a messenger from, a, from before you, except that we revealed to him that there is no one worthy of worship, of worship but me, therefore worship me. We find this uh, paralleled in Surah Al-Hajj, but with a different caveat. 
with a concentration on the story of Ibrahim and the start of the Hajj. And when we showed Ibrahim the place of the house and that you shall not commit any partners or admit any partners in worship with me and to purify my house for those who stand and bow and prostrate and make tawaf, stand and bow and make tawaf, stand and bow in prayer and make tawaf. So tawheed and tawheed. But what's happening here? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Anbiya is telling the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam, you have been treated by this uh, th this way by the, the people. They've rejected your message. The day of judgment is nigh. But in the second set of verses that we find in Surah Al-Anbiya, he says, They're only taking you in jest. And indeed, prophets or messengers that came before you were made fun of. They were ridiculed. And that which the people who ridiculed them, uh, that which they ridiculed them with, overtook them. So we find that the stories of the prophets that were mentioned, the punishment that were sent against those people, that was all uh, that was all uh, uh, clarified to the people of Quraysh. Similarly, we have in Surah Al-Hajj, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Wa in فَقَدْ كُذِّبَتْ رُسُلٌ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ أَوْ وَإِنْ يُكَذِّبُكَ فَقَدْ كُذِّبَتْ قَوْمٌ نُوحٍ وَعَادٍ وَثَمُودٍ." And if they reject you, then they had rejected then the people of Nuh and uh, the people of Nuh and Thamud and Ad, they had rejected their people, uh, their prophets and messengers as well. So we start off with a parallel on the Day of Judgment. Then we start off a parallel on the way that the prophets are treated. And then this is the very last point. And there's so much more that could be said about this. But this is, to me, the most important point for the understanding the role of the Prophet and understanding our role as believers. Number one is in Surah Al-Anbiya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions, He says, After mentioning all of the punishments that were going to come to the people, He then says the special status of the Prophet وسلم, is that he was not sent except as a mercy to all worlds. And so the function of the Prophet وسلم, is that he is he he puts he is there to act as mercy for all of those who are animate inanimate, inanimate, all of those who are believing and dead until the judgment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes in the next life. And therefore, as Ibn Abbas عنه, commented on this, saying that the Prophet والسلام, was a mercy. In that those who should have been punished, their punishment was delayed. Now, here's where it's important for us as believers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says at the end of Surah Al-Hajj, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, uh, He has not placed any hardship on you in your faith. The way of your father Abraham. He has mentioned you as Muslims in this, in before as well as this. 
لِتَكُونُوا شُهَدَاءَ عَلَى النَّاسِ وَيَكُونَ الرَّسُولُ عَلَيْكُمْ شَهِيدًا So that you might be witnesses to mankind and the messenger be a witness over you. So it's almost as if we're saying, we've moved out of the Meccan period. We've transitioned, transitioned into the, 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 the Medinan period. The Medinan period, if you read this last page of Surah Al-Hajj, it actually mentions Salah, Zakah. Uh, 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 jihad and a number of the, the things that were going to be legislated for the Medinan period but most importantly that every Muslim now has the charge to embody the prophetic character and the prophetic example and be the ones who are now carrying Islam to the rest of the people so that they can be witnesses to mankind and on the day of judgment the Prophet وسلم, will be witnesses over us. So it's as if we've been given our charge as an ummah through these two surahs, and it's as if we've been given the history of all of Islam from the beginning of creation until the end of time. Zakallah khair, Sheikh I know you uh, you have more more reflections, subhanAllah, to give, but I can't help but think when you're talking about Surah Al-Hajj, Hajj is not just the ritual of Ummah Muhammad وسلم, but uh, I think what I always I love to reflect on when I'm there is Musa salam doing Hajj as the Prophet salam mentioned Ibrahim salam Musa salam uh, Hud salam Isa salam coming in the last days and doing Hajj as well. So Subhanallah, this is the place where the prophets and their message of Tawheed is ritualized and, and crystallized in the most beautiful of ways, and we're still taking part in that ritual today. Subhanallah, this this ever. Every long ritual, you know. That one, just... one thing, one thing that in you, you know, you brings to mind as well is that uh, the the idea of Hajj it's almost like a, it's almost like a dry run for Yom Qiyamah, right? Oh. So if you think about it, you know, in uh, in the Yom Al Fasli Kana we go to the Mawakit. You know, there's so many different parallels mm-hmm. here, and I can't help but think that both of these surahs start with an idea of the Ba'ath. And the and and the resurrection of the day of judgment, and then we lead into the ideas of Hajj and the way of Ibrahim, and it's almost to say that you know if 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 you want to be safe on that day, you follow the 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 way of all of the prophets that were there, that were mentioned, and 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 think of of the way that they themselves understood that and made Hajj and and and, and kept that at the forefront of their minds. Mm-hmm. Maybe one last thing I would love to uh, to share is in Surah Al-Anbiya, uh, the ayah that talks about Sayyidina Ibrahim السلام, when his people decided to throw him in the fire. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him that miracle. Allah told the fire to be cool and peace for Ibrahim السلام, uh, Imam al-Razi, rahimahullah, as usual, he gives very interesting and subtle parallels between different verses in the Quran. He made a parallel between this verse highlighting the word salam and the word salam in Surah Al-Qadr, talking about Laylat Al-Qadr. Salamun hiya hatta al-fajr, that the night of Al-Qadr is full of peace or filled, filled with, is filled with peace. And as we know from the tafsir, that the angels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be greeting Muslims who are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Laylat Al-Qadr with peace. So, he was uh, uh, saying that, Imam Razi was saying that this idea of salamun here, that the night of Al-Qadr is filled with peace, shouldn't be taken lightly. It is not something that you might say, okay, sure, the angels are giving me salam. It's not a big deal. He was saying that when a few angels 
greeted Ibrahim alayhi salam with salam. Qalu salam and qala salam in a different surah when they came to his house and they greeted him with peace. Uh, and, and then he called it in, in Qissat al-Ijl al-Hanif, in the story of the roasted calf. He said Ibrahim alayhi salam was happier with their greeting, with their salam, more than with even being the king of the entire world. He said, in fact, Ibrahim alayhi salam was probably saved from the fire because of the salams of the angels to him. And that salams uh, were reflected in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala using the same word, قُلْنَا يَنَارُكُونِي بَرْدًا وَسَلَامًا Be cool and safe for Ibrahim alayhi salam. And then he, he made a beautiful statement uh, showing his hope in, in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said that, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may make the hellfire cool and safe for us by the blessing of the angels giving us salam and Laylatul Qadr exactly as he made the fire uh, uh, cool and peaceful for Ibrahim alayhi salam. Then he made a beautiful comment saying the only difference is that Ibrahim alayhi salam offered the angels a roasted calf and the angels are expecting from us and Laylatul Qadr to offer a roasted heart. Instead of actually offering a, a roasted calf, he said, "This is what we need just to offer and and Laylatul Qadr." So it's it's a beautiful meaning um, uh, that he actually also concluded with saying that it's actually a great honor from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala that in that story the angels came to a prophet of Allah in Surah Al Qadr. Angels are coming to us to the followers of the Prophet that, that, that prophet who is in that very high proximity in terms of his relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be among the best of the prophets. Allah sent him angels. Allah sending us just like ordinary people uh, by, by the barakah of following the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, angels and the qadr. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all laylatul qadr and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us all to worship him as he's due inshallah if we can and if he shows that we are able to on laylatul qadr inshallah. Beautiful reflection. Sheikh Abdullah, Sheikh Joe, any, I, I want to let the conversation go. I know Sheikh Yusuf just gave us uh, that, that mind-blowing uh, gem to <laughs> sit with. Barakallah, Sheikh Yusuf. Any final thoughts, Mashai? Oh, there's, there's so much, there's so, much, uh, so much that could be that could be said. I mean, um, yeah, uh, uh, you know, whether it's the whether it's the 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 the, the evidences for the the infeasibility and the the the, the fallibility of of shirk and, and ascribing others you know to Allah subhanahu wa taala I mean one of my favorite verses in the end of Surah Al Hajj a parable has been struck and so listen to it you know that the the parable of the fly um, to all you know all of the other things that are that are in in these two surahs. You can read these two surahs and actually not realize you can finish the whole Jews of the Quran. Because everything is, is, is so tightly wound together um, of whether it is, you know, affirming, affirming Tawheed, um, uh, negating Shirk, uh, informing us of the prophets and the messengers and their struggles, affirming that the, he whoever follows the prophets and the messengers will be in there will be will struggle as well. Ashadun Nasi Ibtilaan an Ambiat Fumaladini Yalunahum Fumaladini Yalunahum as the Prophet said that those who have the strongest struggles are the prophets and the messengers, then those that follow them, those that follow them. Um uh, you know until uh, you know and, and then it's to you know following that following them in the manner that they pray and fast and make jihad and i'tisam bihablillah and you know hold fast to the rope of allah um the, the 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 whole idea is always going back to 
uh, to, you know, take taking staying on the straight path that you've been set on. Um, and, and, I, and I think that the more that we reflect on the, the on not just the beauty of guidance, but on the, the, the blessing of guidance. I think that a lot of us, we don't think of ourselves as guided, as guided. We don't think of ourselves as Allah having named us Muslims. When you when someone gives you a name, that means that they, that name is special to them. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala named us that because he wants from us just that, from us submission. He give he gave us the path, uh, you know, in, in these two surahs of how to submit. Abdullah, you have any final kalima? No, no, just thinking about an anbiya, how just there's many stories of the Prophet. Uh said this to see Joseph about sixteen. This is the comfort to the Prophet وسلم, and to all of us. So just seeing the example of the of Torheed in, in action, you know, with the with the anbiya. Uh mashallah. It's beautiful. A lot to think about and a lot to look forward to for Laylat al Qadr in particular. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those that observe it. Uh, please look out for the paper that Sheikh Yusuf is talking about in a few days, inshallah, on Yaqeen's website. And um, we look forward to seeing you all for the webathon on Tuesday, inshallah. And Sheikh Joe and Sheikh Yusuf, uh, Sheikh Abdullah, as always, we're blessed to have you all with us. Barakallahu feekum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.